Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I went to the refugee Safeway yesterday, and I went to buy some cottage cheese. Yeah, 4% I, large curd. Yeah, 4% Lucerne. large curd Lucerne. That's a Safeway brand. It's why I don't go anywhere else. I don't want Breakstone cottage cheese. I want Lucerne cottage cheese. I have a big vat of cottage cheese here, but it's expired. I haven't had it. It's expired. Another couple weeks for you. I understand, but it's been expired for a while. So you're past even your threshold. (laughs) With cottage cheese, yeah. If I open that, a mouse could come out. Scrape (laughs) scrape the top layer. Yeah. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I haven't gone back. Do you know, I went to the social safe where I was like, well, it's probably... Did you see it? Lucerne? No, neither one. The, the, the Baskin-Robbins coffee ice cream, nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And no Lucerne products whatsoever. It's amazing. Something's happened. Yeah. Would you like to share the date on your cottage cheese? It's, uh, it's January. It's, okay. it's done. Okay. What year? No, it's, it's January, <laughs> you know, 2022. January 20th, I think, or something like that. No, I'm not going to use it. No. Uh, from Steve the Sicker fan, dear Satch, I made it. I'm 80 years old on March 23rd. That's yesterday, yes? Uh, or the day 20, before? Uh, two days ago, yes. Since I've been reading Depends your work you since you joined the Washington Post in 1979, plus enjoying all your iterations on radio and TV, that means you've been entertaining me for over half my life. <coughs> I just checked out the actuarial tables and see I have a one in three chance to make it to 90 and one in 14 to 100. So I'll just plan on relishing PTI and the podcast until 2032. And let the chips fall where they may from there. Thanks to you and all your cohorts who helped make, make my life so enjoyable. Yeah, but what, what am I on the action? <laughs> That's the real question, yes. Um, okay. Hi, Mr. Tony. It was nice to see this is from Orlando Serrano. This is a Serrano of Serrano Swain family. It was nice to see you and Chessie out and about the other day. I meant to tell you then, but was unable to due to our youngest needing to get back for dinner. If Chessie ever wants to play a round of the Frisbee game on an away field, you know where to find us. If Michael wants to come over and chop it up with another former high school teacher and coach whose partner works for an education-centered nonprofit, that's good, too. Just make sure the car stalls off Western. That's your, <laughs> that's your history. If this sounds good to you, leave your gated community and visit our gated community. We don't have a gated it's great community. great bird watching over there. I assume this is what Wilbon <laughs> thinks fences are in a classic guy who owns a home in every U.S. time zone filled with $1,600 sport coats. You can leave your gated community of one and visit our gated community of one anytime. Make good decisions. Orlando from the pretty street around the way. P.S. for you to know this is off there. It says... But, he, he's giving his own credentials, and so that's that's very good. I, very nice. It was a chance encounter, and it was very nice. Show Isn't this to great? Michael. Yes. So like that. Okay. This is about Michael as well. 39-year-old little. This is Andy Sabatier, who's a physical therapist, director, doctor of physical therapy. 39-year-old little hasn't missed an episode since 2009. Michael slipped in the show dated March 23rd, a comment about the safety of taping his mouth closed at night. And I almost spit out my Terrifying. I'm a physical Ah. therapist who specializes in breathing mechanics. I've spent the greater part of the last decade as the primary PT for an ICU and now own my own small practice, Academy West Breathing Performance, here in Bend, Oregon. Yes, the home of Dan Fouts. No, not the location of Band and Dunes. (laughs) Barring any structural (laughs) abnormalities that literally prevent you from breathing in your nose, taping the mouth closed at night is both safe and helpful. Breathing is the single most impactful action a human being can perform, and it has drastic health consequences. Essentially, the way you breathe can either be actively helping or actively harming your body more than 20,000 times each day and night. I'd like to submit my own resume as the official breathing specialist. I didn't know that was open, but it's open. It's a coveted position. You know, I work with patients of all ages from weeks old to people in their 90s. I work with professional athletes as well as people struggling with COPD or long COVID and everything in between. Changing your breathing can change your life because of the simultaneous physical, chemical, mental, and emotional impact. I'm able to evaluate breathing mechanics in person or through the magic of the internet and provide people with meaningful ways to impact their own lives. I'm completely obsessed with what I do and would love nothing more than to give back to the show what it has given me uh, so much over the years. Please let me know if this interests any of you and we can get you squared away at your convenience. P.S. My uncle is Larry Dorman. Larry Dorman? Larry Dorman? Larry Dorman, who we used to talk to all the time about golf, Larry yeah. Dorman from Miami. And he tells the story of Marv Albert calling you unsightly with as much verve as you do. Not Marv, it's Howard. <laughs> it's Howard, yes. It's the original. It's <laughs> Howard. 24 outlets in the kitchen, including the inaccessible ones behind the bridge, uh, behind the fridge. 
I, I, I'm going to give this to you. To I'm going to hold on to this. I hope I don't need this. I had a friend text us, a, a friend of the show and of the PTI family, saying that it took about a week, but that after a week she noticed a, a decrease in snoring. And I'm trying to see if this is going to help me breathe through my nose. So I, you're, I, you're still taping your mouth closed. Terrifying. Again, yeah. this what morning are you doing? I so I don't want to get a call, <laughs> you know, from Liz. <laughs> The tape never came off. Uh, so this morning, of course, Bootsy, after the Duke game, late night for us, decides yeah. that he had nightmares and wanted to sleep in our bed. So every 45 minutes, his little right arm, like Maggie, would push me off the bed, and then I'd remember that I had my mouth taped so I couldn't say anything. Call him. Call him. One more. <laughs> From Paul Lutz, honorary doctor of history, TK show, given October 2nd, 2020, Worthington, Ohio. I would think that a doctor of humane letters would perhaps think that clouds in my coffee was a poetic reference to the moment when you add cream to your coffee and the cream blooms up and looks like a cloud. That is what I always thought. Alas, we were both wrong. You about the lyric, me about the illusion. But grinds and cream both get a shout out in the explanation. Per an interview with Carly Simon about the illusion, there's a quote, clouds in my coffee are the confusing aspects of life and love, that which you can't see through and yet seems alluring until, like a mirage that turns into a dry patch, perhaps there is something in the bottom of the coffee cup that you could read if you could, like tea leaves or coffee grinds, unquote. The actual line came from her friend and music collaborator, Billy Murnett, who was sitting next to Simon on a flight. Carly had the window seat and Murnett noticed the clouds from the window reflecting in her coffee. He said, look at the clouds in your coffee and mentioned that it looked like a shot from the 1967 French movie, Two or Three Things I Know About Her, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. In the film, there's a poignant shot of cream swirling in a cup of coffee. According to Murnett, he and Simon both wrote the line down in their journals and a few weeks later, Carly called him and asked if she could use it in a song. Two interesting additional facts about the song. The reference to Total Eclipse of the Sun hadn't occurred yet when the song was released. The song was released in the spring of 1972, and the eclipse would not occur until July of 1972. Second, while there has always been the question, who is the song uh, about, one of the suspects makes an uncredited appearance on the song. I do know this. Again, quoting Simon, I was in London. It was 1972, and he, Mick Jagger, happened to call the studio while I was doing the background vocals with Harry Nilsson. Mick said, hey, what you doing? And I said, we're doing some backup vocals on a song of mine. Why don't you come down and sing with us? So Mick and Harry and I stood around the mic singing You Are So Vain. And Harry was such a gentleman. He knew the chemistry was between me and Mick in terms of the singing. So he sort of bowed out saying, the two of you have a real blend. You should do it yourselves. If you listen closely, you will notice his voice in the background. That I knew. Wow. I knew that. But the, the explanation of clouds in the coffee is great. I've dawdled and dawdled and dawdled. Let me get to the main part of the beginning of the show. The college games. Oh, actually, the main part was this morning, uh, I went out before dawn with Chessie, and there was, in Washington anyway, very low-hanging fog clouds. Yes. But if you looked up into the sky, you could see the actual half moon, because the sky itself was clear. You had to get through the clouds. And the half moon, you saw the left of the moon the circular part on the left and right in the middle, right in the middle, dead in the middle, cut off. Did you see this? I, so I was I was driving through the fog. I couldn't see anything in the sky. Yeah. Did you see it? I saw it well, uh, when I was picking up the bagels from uh, Bethesda Bagels. Looked up and it was magnificent. You're right. It was weird. The cloud, I mean, the fog just hanging low yeah, over everything. Yeah. All right. College games. Um, about two weeks ago, before this whole thing started, I went on the PTI show and I said these words to Michael Wilbon. I'll give you any five teams you want. Any five, and I'll take the field. Take any five teams you want. We're at that point now where the only one of the five really that's left is Kansas. I mean, you might say Duke, but nobody thought Duke going in. It's Kansas. Three number ones are out. Kansas is the number one that's left. What number two would you necessarily want, or three, or four, or whatever? So I feel pretty safe on that bet at the moment. I watched the first two games – it does not surprise me even a little that Arkansas beat Gonzaga because Arkansas was in a killer conference this year. The SEC did not show well in the NCAAs, but they were in a killer conference. And during the season, Arkansas beat LSU, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Auburn, all of whom were ranked at that time. All of whom ranked. They weren't afraid of Gonzaga. They wanted Gonzaga. They were quicker to the ball than Gonzaga. They were tougher on the court than Gonzaga. Every time Gonzaga seemed to be coming back, they made a basket. You know, it doesn't surprise me at all. And, and let me crow a little bit about Gonzaga. And I know I said I could see them winning this year, but I also said if they didn't win this year, they'll never win. And never going to win. 
They're never going to win until they get out of that conference. They are not prepared in March to play four or five tough games in a row. They're not prepared. Just not. Memphis gave them all they wanted, and then the next game they went out to Arkansas, a four seed. This is... This is just simple truth about basketball. Gonzaga plays everybody in the world in December. They play Duke. They play everybody. And their conference was better this year than in most years. But they're not prepared for this four or five in a row. They got to the finals once at least, maybe even twice. They don't win. They can't do it. You know, I mean, Mark Few can say all he wants about being ranked number one and what a successful season it was. It was not a successful season. It's just not. They had the number one recruit in the country, and they had the number one holdover in the country. And they didn't win. They didn't even get to the eight. Am I wrong on this? No, you're right. It was. Um, I love the, uh, the, the Arkansas coach afterwards when he's talking about his own teammate, because defense is what won that Eric game. Eric Musselman. Yeah, Musselman. I, I've picked up a lot of Musselman uh, applesauce at the store. Uh, but he's, just, he's, <laughs> he's like, you know what? I'm going to admit it. Our, uh, our offense is not cosmetically pleasing, uh, but it was interesting to see the, the judicious use of fouls in that game and how that impacted it versus then going into the Duke game, which was right after it on the same court. But I, they have so many likable players. The, the little guy who came in at the end with the, uh, with the free throws. To make free throws. Yeah. That guy with the ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. Tony he's, only, coming, he's only there for that, and he hit him. Yeah, he nailed him. Tony him. coming into the dance at the, uh, you know, at the beginning of West Side Story with the huge block at the end of the game. Yeah. You know. Uh, no, was, you, you sort of thought with the way the fouls were coming that, that Tim was going to bring them back, but no, it didn't. We were just waiting for that game to end. Because you it, wanted to watch the Duke we game. We wanted to watch the Duke game, and of course it kept getting pushed back 10 minutes, 10 minutes. So I'm glad I didn't even stay with the Duke game. Uh, Villanova beat Michigan. Um, here's the thing about Villanova. Villanova can win in the 70s. Villanova can win in the 50s. Villanova can take the air out of the ball. Villanova is a veteran team. Everybody can put the ball on the ground. Everybody can shoot, and if at the end of the game it's close, Villanova makes all their foul shots. So you got to beat Villanova early. you got to have a 15-point lead on Villanova. You have to have that, and then you can win that game. And Michigan's not that good. And they had bad luck. They were right at the rim. The big kid who's from Washington, from DeMatha, I believe, Dickinson, they're right at the rim on a billion shots, and they, didn't, they just didn't drop. You know, that that was I didn't see the other two games. Tell me about the Duke game. I'm glad Duke won. I did not think they would. So it okay, I'm I'm now on the other side of thirty five. For me to be saying that I'm rooting for Duke in a sweet sixteen matchup, still very hard to admit, but this is for my wife. This was a game for her. Uh again, tough to see it go later and later and later. But you saw them come out. Worst possible beginning, which is a couple turnovers. Uh game gets super fast. They're down by six in the first two minutes. Uh they sort of stick to the game plan, which is how you can score in Texas Tech by going for threes. That was working. So they, they sort of hold pace. They're down by a couple going into the half. It looks like they're going to get some separation at the beginning of, of that second half. They do not. Uh, late in the game, Liz gets fired up because Coach K pulls a Bayheim. He's pulling out Go hand signals like he's telling him to lay down a sack, you know, a sack bunt or something. It was like zone, zone, uh, which works until Texas Tech comes back and figures out how to break that. Great to hear the the uh, the comments after, but how it's the kids, the kids who are preaching to Coach K, the chorus. No, we want to go back to man. Uh, I don't know. You're looking at still some young players who look a lot more mature than they were two. I mean, we've seen so much of this team in the last three weeks. Yeah. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen next to them? But uh, that one, that one was for Liz in my house. Well, they get Houston now. Houston Wilbon loves Houston, and Wilbon said he thought Houston would beat Arizona, and he was right about that. He went against one of his home teams. Houston is a great defensive team. Are they greater than Texas Tech? I'm not sure about that. Houston's really good. My sense of, of Duke at this point in time, and Michael and I talked about this earlier in the day, and we disagreed. Um, I'm sorry, Villanova gets Houston. Duke, Duke gets, gets Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas is going to be tough. Let me go to Houston at this point because it's the Villanova game. Um, my sense is that you reach a point where you don't go any further. You're not used to going any further. This is it. And I think that Villanova can advance over Houston. The Duke point we wanted to make is you thought, Michael, that Krzyzewski's season is successful by getting to the eight. And I, I, I think, don't. I think so just because of the way it ended against Carolina and then sort of what what now looks like just a very untidy loss in the ACC championship where they just were outplayed and, and didn't really have any answers. You're now seeing the continuation of answers to those questions, which is how are we going to try and move the ball? How are we getting inside? They, they weren't trying to get inside and score in some of those late uh, regular season games. So I think it's 
I think now it's open field. I, you know, you could see them totally going to the final four. You could even see them get into the championship, but you can't, you're not going to fault the team for laying down now in, in his final dance. I think you have to, if you're Mike Krzyzewski, to walk away if you don't win. I mean, I think you want to walk away winning, obviously, but if you don't win and you get to the final four, if you get to the final four, that is the benchmark for most coaches is I got to the final four. Yeah. That would be one more time to the final four with a team of kids, a team that gassed late in the season. I think that would be an acceptable thing, not the eight. I think you have to beat Arkansas. Can you beat Arkansas? Sure. You can beat Arkansas. Arkansas may be one of those teams where this is as far as they go. But they've beaten a lot of ranked teams, and they just took out the overall number one. And again, they're not afraid of Duke. No. They want Duke. They want to beat Duke's brains out. You know, so we'll see how that goes. Um, We have guests today not about college basketball. That will be on Monday. Our guests today are about pro basketball and and pro football, which are – pro football is certainly the biggest story of all. We got Brian Windhorst and Booger McFarland. Brian is next. I am Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Ryan Carter, I believe it's pronounced. Mr. Carter. His group is called The Silent Critics. Yes. This is their new album. He says, hey there, everyone. I wanted to share our new record with you all. We were played on the show a couple of times in the past. Tony read an email from my father a little while a little while back oh not a little but maybe he's a little (laughs) so you can say the family enjoys the show this is called lay it on the line we're going to have two songs by the silent critics today this is called lay it on the line and it plays in brian windhorst who i shouted out to yesterday when brian uh, i said on pti you need to listen to brian's recap of the fight in miami (laughs) it's brilliant it feels like he wrote a script and is going to submit it to the movies. And we'll get to that in a second. I just want to say one thing first. And it, it bothers me because this is a Wilbon position and I may have to adapt it. And I, I don't want to. But apparently the Memphis Grizzlies, who I can't name anybody on the team. I cannot. Don't know the coach. Don't know anyone on the team other than John Moran. Without John Moran, I think they're now 16-2, and two, Brian. They That's must right. be good. They must be good, right? They are, you know, they're kind of like, you know, we're in March, so I may be defaulting in my head, but they're kind of like a team in the NCAA tournament that's having uh, like a magical run. I mean, they're better than that. They're not a Cinderella, but they're just having a moment where they're just kind of floating on air right now. And their team is super young, Tony. They're they, they, I think their average age is like 23 and change. Wow. Um, I, yeah. I, I, there's something like nobody on their team older than 28 has, has scored a point this year. Um, and so they're just having like, I mean, I don't want to call somebody who's 23 a kid, but they're, they're right. just basically like having fun. They're, they're too young to know any better of the grind that is about to, to fall them, I believe. But they are a very good team. They play with incredible confidence. And they have been great all year. You know, starting early in the year, they started racking up some really impressive road wins. They kept going in to people's buildings and pulling off wins. And they're, the, they're going to be the number two seed in the West. I mean, they're going to have home court the first two rounds. Um, and they are uh, a legitimate. I'm not... You know, I don't think they're a favorite by any means, but they are a legitimate contender to win the Western Conference. Again, Wilbon has said this all year, and I usually tell him, stop, shut up, but he may be right. Uh, Let me get to a bunch of real good headlines. The first is the change in the vaccination rule in New York City. This means that Kyrie Irving, the worst teammate in the history of team sports, has won. He has won. It depresses me that his teammates do not 
feel that he betrayed them on any level and have welcomed him back. What do you make of this, and what does it mean for the playoffs, obviously? Yeah, I mean, his decision uh, all it pretty much torpedoed their season. And I'm not saying that's the reason why James Harden wanted out of there was the vaccine issue, but James Harden couldn't didn't want to be with Kyrie Irving anymore. And so whatever Kyrie decided to do cost them James Harden. We can debate whether how bad of a loss that is. Um, I don't understand. I mean, the rule was extraordinarily flawed. The, the fact that visiting unvaccinated players could play and unvaccinated people could watch the game, but he couldn't play. The rule is very mm-hmm. flawed. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, the mayor, he's been in uh, in office for three months. I used to live in New York City. I don't anymore. But if I still did, I'd be scratching my head about this guy because Tuesday he's talking about how he's going to have science lead and, you know, that the, the, the pro athletes are going to have to wait. They're not the priority. He said this on Tuesday at a press conference. And then Wednesday, yeah. with, with the it's numbers the showing that they're, that they're way up in New York State, because I'm, unfortunately I think we're in for a little bump here, he totally reverses course, which I guess that's what a politician does. But I can't really defend the, 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 the rule because the rule was nonsensical. But it just... Let's just say that the mayor of New York City is not exactly impressed me with the way he's handled this. Um, so, but, but Tony, the, the bottom line, once you cut through all that, is the Nets have just gone from being a spoiler, a team that could maybe pull off an upset, to a team that now is a contender to win the Eastern Conference. Because Absolutely. Kyrie, Absolutely. when he plays, they are, a, and this isn't hardly a stun, a stunner, he's a, they're a dramatically better team. On the road this year, they're the number one offensive team in the league when they're on the road. When they're home, Tony, they're 26th. It's Kyrie. It's availability. uh, Now, some of of those numbers are skewed because Durant missed, you know, a couple of, uh, like a month, and they lost all those home games without both of them. But the point is, they're a much more formidable team. And, Tony... Think about if you're Miami, who's in the one seat, or you're Milwaukee, who's in the two, and you've worked. You don't want them. For five you months. don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> for no, five you don't want any part this, of them. Yeah, and you've worked for five months to get positioned in the playoffs, and you potentially see them in the first round. I mean, it's a it's a game changing move. I don't. I'm not. You know, I know that a lot of people think they're going to now win the East. I'm not one of them because they've got a horrible defense. But they have the ability to, to beat anybody. What does Steve Nash think of Kyrie Irving? They play the same position. I'd love to know. Yeah. yeah, nobody knows, right? But we don't believe anything Steve Nash says about this. We know, you can't. What, are, what does Adam Silver think about Kyrie Irving? What does he think about him? Really? He's the worst well, teammate of all time. So, I don't know. You know, all right. uh, uh, go ahead. Steve, Steve Nash hasn't. Unfortunately, I mean, I know Steve Nash a little bit, and I really like and respect him, but he has pretty much consistently and regularly lied with a straight face to the media the entire year. So yeah. I can't really take anything that he says with, with a lot of you know, seriousness. But, I mean, you, knew, you know how Steve Nash played. Steve Nash yeah. like, played injured half of his career and played with a reckless abandon. I I would be stunned. Uh, I mean, he has to respect Kyrie's talent, but he can't respect the way he goes about the game. But what do I know? Is there a missing persons uh, alert out for Ben Simmons? Is this what's the deal? What's the deal with this guy? I mean, this is just. I mean, you know, he he had an epidural injection, which you know there were some people wondering if the back injury was not legitimate because he was trying to avoid that game in Philly. Well, yeah. when I found out that he got that epidural, <laughs> it's the, you would have wished it was not legitimate because that is not good. Um, now, I have covered players before, and I know people just personally in life who've had these epidurals, and they do work. <laughs> you know, it does usually provide a lot of relief, and you can, you can play. You can get back to things. But 
that is masking the symptom. If you have a herniated disc, you have really got to deal with that. And um, unfortunately, a lot of times it's surgery, and you never want to have back surgery, Tony, because nobody has one back surgery. That's right. So the question that I have is when they did the trade and they did the physical, did they know about the herniated disc? And if they knew about the herniated disc and said, let's do the trade anyway, that that makes me wonder if he, because he had a back issue back in 2020, Tony, right before the pandemic, they shut him down with what they call the nerve impingement, which frankly could have been as a result of a herniated disc. I don't know. Um, uh, but if they did the trade knowing he had a herniated disc, that's one problem. The other problem would be if he herniated the disc as he was ramping up when he hadn't played in 10 months, that's not good. Either way, it's not good. Um, but having said that, I do think there's a possibility he can play because those epidurals are very good short-term solutions. And if he can play, and Tony, I don't even know why I'm continuing talking here because I, I think it's crazy that he hasn't played for 10 months and has never put on the uniform of the team and could all of a sudden walk out there in the playoffs. But He's not I guess it's not possible, not so I'll keep talking. No. It would really make a huge difference because they are a wretched defensive team, and the exact type of player that they need is a guy with size who can defend multiple positions. Uh, uh, but I just can't see – I just can't see in common sense that you could put him out there under all these circumstances. But I guess that's what the drama of the playoffs will be. I have a herniated disc on my left side between the L4 and the L5, and I've had it for four or five years. And often the pain goes away, and I don't know why. And often the pain comes back, and I don't know why. And it causes me on my left side to have pain, shooting pain up and down my left leg. Never in my back, in my left leg. Nobody wants this. And you're right about the surgeries. Every doctor will tell you there's no such thing as one back surgery. So we stay away from that. Let me move to Zion Williamson and the question of how much he hates David Griffin and how badly he wants to leave New Orleans. Wilbon, of course, loves David Griffin and can't tolerate me saying that David Griffin, that this relationship is dead in the water and Zion Williamson wants to leave, shaming them into letting him practice. What is the state of that circumstance? Well, for the record, I really like David Griffin, too. I've <laughs> uh, okay. known him for a decade, okay? Went through all kinds of wars in, in Cleveland, you know, Cleveland. with him every day, yep. okay? Um, it, that video, I was actually very relieved to see that video because it, not, it, it clarified everything. Because from somebody in my position, we're having a very difficult time reporting on Zion this year. Because we just, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I just can't get information on what's going on there. Um, the Zion operation is airtight, and the Pelicans are so sensitive to upsetting Zion that they either lie or say nothing about him for months on end. So the fact that he would not be cleared to, to, to dunk and do practice like that and put that on social media, and my God, was it an impressive dunk. I mean, there is no oh, yeah. questioning that man's incredible physical attributes. Um, for, for him to do that, that, that clarified everything, because what has happened in this relationship, going back to his rookie year when he had knee, a, a meniscus injury, I believe, Zion was angry back then that they held him back all the way into, like, what it was January or something. Then he was mad that he that they would only play him in five or seven minute bursts or whatever that he he bitched about that consistently um uh then he got hurt in the bubble and you know they covered it up for him and didn't say he was hurt and he left the bubble um you know he said he had a family issue and i'm I'm not saying he didn't but he was injured and left the bubble um this last year he's away from the team throughout the entire summer and breaks his foot gets surgery with another doctor and refuses to allow the team to tell anybody about it, which I get. You want to protect your medical information, that's fine, but that undercuts your, your uh, position with your fans when you lie to your fans. Um, and then he has setbacks because, you know, you know whatever the, the rehab wasn't working, and then he bolts away from the team and leaves the team for two months. This is a long tail 
of an absolute absence of, of relationship and trust between player and team. But it was very hard to say that with definitive, within a definitive way, Tony, because we just couldn't say for sure. Well, that video shows why Zion potentially has had setbacks because he pushes his rehab, which is, you know, that's been the word. Uh, I didn't know, but he pushes his rehab too far too fast. And there it was. He pushed his rehab too far too fast. He wasn't even cleared to play one on zero at that point. Uh, you know, just him, you know, going and dunking. And he was doing it on the Pelicans floor away from practice and then showing the team up. I think I don't, I've never met him because he's basically not been available to the media his whole NBA career, uh, where the media can actually talk to the players because of the pandemic years. And this year he hasn't been around. I don't know him. I wish I could say I had some insight into him. I, I think he's a pretty good guy. Um, I love his talent. But I will say this, Tony, when he was at Duke and when he was going to Duke, his family, who was running his, his operations and making his big decisions for him, absolutely created an, a, a horrible, horrible mess with the way they handled his off-the-court business. And it's led to all these lawsuits because they got involved with these shady agents who are trying That's to right. rip him off. And it's damages his credibility. But if they make decisions on his health, the way they made decisions about his off-court stuff, I'm very worried about it. That's a long, long answer of saying that this is a mess, and I don't know why. I don't know how this is going to get resolved. Do you think that within the next twelve to sixteen months, Zion Williamson will be wearing another uniform? So it's a very fair question. I would, if I were the, if I were the Pelicans, I would do everything I possibly could to keep to him. To keep him, and sure. because he's just too damn good, you can't find talent like that. And it's why, even with all of these injuries, if he were to be put on the block, teams would fall all over themselves to offer the sun, the moon, and the stars to get him. So I would absolutely try to keep him. But Tony, I have to say. When this summer comes and they have to go to him and negotiate a contract, I don't know how you can responsibly give him a full max, fully guaranteed. Uh, you're, it's, you're asking for trouble there. You have to protect yourself with his injuries. And I, if I were him, I could see him saying, no, I want the full max or nothing, and creating a pinch point. And so uh, we'll see. But I'll tell you this, teams out there that would be interested in him are watching the situation like a hawk. They're waiting for the moment where this turns into a breakup. It can be saved because everything in life can still be saved, and I'm not going to predict that it won't, but everybody is watching for that potential situation. Get you out of here on this. you got 30 seconds, only 30 seconds. Miami, that's not working, is it? (laughs) That's not working. They're really, really good, Tony, and there have been many years in the last 20 where they would probably be able to win the East. This year with the East, it's going to be so hard to win 12 games. Uh, I'm not sure they can do it. I'm I'm not worried about that fight. I'm more just worried about their overall health and their overall ability to, to score at the highest level. They can defend, but they can't always score. So I wouldn't pick them to win the East, but I wouldn't want to. I don't know much. I don't know much about basketball, but I know this about the Miami Heat. They're a wonderful team, but they've got to beat you for four quarters because if they're down 10 with five minutes to go, they can't win. They don't have that guy, right, Brian? They don't have that guy. They, they struggle with getting a basket that they really, really need in the half court. And, yeah, so you, yeah. You, maybe yeah. they beat you once because they beat you four out of seven. That's the question. No. Thank you, Brian, as always. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Brian Windhorst, boys and girls. Have a great weekend, Tony. She's wonderful. He's so good. He's the best. We'll take a break. Booger McFarlane will join us. We'll shift from basketball to football. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, these are the silent critics sent to us by Ryan Carter. This is called Spectacular Feeling. Plays in Booger McFarlane. You can listen to these songs at the end of the podcast without us interrupting it. And Michael, if people like the silent critics want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. I said that, um, you know, it's, it's an odd day because we have the NCAA tournament to talk about. And yet we're talking about 
pro basketball and pro football because those are actually bigger stories. There was no bigger story this week, none, in sports. There's no bigger story than Tyreek Hill leaving Kansas City and going to Miami and all that, all that will unfold as time goes on. Prior to that, there were no bigger stories than the quarterback roulette wheel that has been spinning for a couple of weeks now. Let's get to the first question on the quarterback roulette wheel. Russell Wilson to Denver. What does that mean to you? Well, it just means, first of all, that Russell Wilson finally got his way. I think it, it hadn't been a secret that he was trying to get out of Seattle for whatever reason he and Pete weren't seeing eye to eye. And I think he just needed to change the scenery, both him personally and also his family. Let's not forget, Russell is married to a, a superstar in Sierra. And sometimes when, you know, your star is, is, is so bright and you're kind of stuck out there uh, in the middle of nowhere, almost to Canada, you kind of feel like an afterthought. And, and I think the combination of all of that led uh, Russell and his family to wanting to leave. And, and when you look at the contenders, you know, Denver was uh, one that not only he wanted, but Aaron Rodgers also wanted also because – they have a great young defense. Uh, they have a new bright offensive mind in Nathaniel Hackett. And I think if you're Russell, you're trying to figure out, finally, can I finish my career off and be the reason we win? Let's not forget, Richard Sherman went on a podcast and said the only reason that we won, uh, or one of the main reasons we won, is not because of Russell. It was because of Legion of Boom. And I think Russell wants to go somewhere where he can be the reason they win, not one of the reasons. I, I totally buy that. He probably looks at Peyton Manning and said he did this late in his career, went to two Super Bowls, won one. If I go to Super Bowl and win it, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I understand that. What about Matt Ryan to Indianapolis? Wilbon believes Matt Ryan is shot as a quarterback. I look at Indianapolis in the same way that you look at Denver as a team just a quarterback away from being a really good playoff team. What are your thoughts on Matt Ryan there? Yeah, but I just wonder if Matt Ryan is a quarterback. Like, we haven't really seen Matt Ryan be the mm -hmm. guy uh, that was the MVP since that season in 2016, mainly in that Super Bowl against New England. So I just wonder how much he has left. But I think if you look at it from the glass half full side, Tony, he doesn't have to be that guy. He has a really good running game, a good offensive line. My biggest concern now is who's he going to throw the football to? You know, you got Michael Pittman Jr., who is a, a really solid uh, I would call a, a two-plus. I don't think he's a one. I think he's a two-plus. Uh, so who's, who's going to be the main guy there? T.Y. Hilton is kind of long in the two. I think yeah. they still need a receiver or two in Indianapolis. But I do like the fit. I just wonder, uh, are the pieces around Matt Ryan going to be enough to kind of fill in the gaps where he is still missing some spots as far as not being the Matt Ryan of old? Okay. Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland. Uh, one, another lawsuit was dropped yesterday, so I don't know how this is going to play out, but in my mind, and I'm sure in the mind of the Cleveland Browns, they're not thinking he's going to necessarily play all the games this year. I've got to believe he'll be suspended for some of them, but he's a great talent. What do you make of that? Well, uh, I think it's a, a precedent-changing contract trade, all the above. Because you got to look at it from this standpoint, Tony. Everybody's focusing on the five-year, $230 million contract that's fully guaranteed. I think that's going to change things also. But I think what it also does when Deshaun Watson basically acts as a free agent when he is still under contract based on circumstances that he had a lot to do with. I just yes. think the arc of the NFL where – the, the teams and the owners have been in control for so long, it's slowly changing. And now you're seeing this, this player empowerment era where even a guy who has 22 civil lawsuits, even a guy who was up for grand jury indictment, even a guy that had, had all the, the missteps that Deshaun Watson had and still has going on with the civil lawsuits, Tony, he got a five-year, $230 million contract that's really guaranteed something no one has ever done before in the National Football League. So I, I just believe that the player empowerment era has started. I think from a football standpoint, when he gets on the field, the Cleveland Browns can beat anybody in the, in the NFL. I think that highly of Deshaun Watson. I think he's that good. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, his head coach at Clemson, called him Superman and Michael Jordan. Everybody laughed. Michael Jordan. But Tony yeah, Michael Smith, Jordan. Since, since he got to the NFL, he's been pretty damn close, I can tell you that. 
He's been really good. The other guy who would have that empowerment, and maybe he used it with Green Bay, is Aaron Rodgers to get a great contract, but then lost his best receiver. Do you think Aaron Rodgers right now is is upset that he stayed once Devontae Adams left? I think he's got to be a little bothered, right? I, I mean, yeah. you know, when you sign the deal, Devontae Adams is still there, and regardless of how much communication they had with you, and regardless of how many phone calls you knew about and you knew what was going on, the guy that you've thrown to for the last almost decade is gone. And, and the combination between you two that was so special, now you're going to have to find that. And I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, they will be able to replace from a talent standpoint. They'll find another good receiver, too. But it's the little things, Tony, that you won't be able to replicate. It's, it's the chemistry. It's the eye contact. It's the, the years of knowing what I'm thinking and what you're thinking, and all we have to do is look at each other. That's the thing that when yes. you're Aaron Rodgers and you're 38 years old, I don't think Green Bay can replicate. And I just wonder, if, if you're Green Bay, did you cut your nose off to spite your face? I just wonder. Because all along, we thought the, the contentious relationship was between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But Tony, it turns out it was between Devontae Adams and the Packers. And I just wonder if they're going to uh, – really regret that at some point this season. I agree with that. There are two quarterbacks who are floating. They're just floating in midair at the moment. Their teams don't want them. Baker Mayfield and the Browns. The Browns don't want him. And Jimmy Garoppolo, it appears the 49ers don't want him. Are either of these guys going to land in a good spot? I think Jimmy Garoppolo, Tony, stays in San Francisco. I, I, I think all the rumors of him being traded are going to continue to die down. Now, some people may say that the shoulder surgery played a part into it, and I'll buy that. But, Tony, the kid that he's playing in front of, Trey Lance, he's not ready. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think Trey Lance. uh, Now, some will say the only way to get ready is you got to put him on the field. Okay, I hear you. I just think San Francisco's in win-now mode. Because if if you look at the moves that they've made, how close they've been, they're looking to win now. And if you put Trey Lance out there as your starting quarterback, then you're basically saying that we're not trying to necessarily win the Super Bowl now. We're trying to bring this young quarterback along. So I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going anywhere. I think Baker Mayfield, Tony, is a backup quarterback at this, at this point in his career. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean that he can't come back and be a starter uh, like a Jameis Winston who sat on the bench behind Drew Brees and then got, got another starting job. I just think when you look at Baker, Listen to what the NFL is telling him. Carolina said, we don't want you. Okay, New Orleans uh, went back with Jameis Winston. The Colts traded for Matt Ryan when Baker openly campaigned to go to Indianapolis. The NFL is telling us, hey, we think Baker Mayfield is a backup. So, Tony, um, unless Seattle, which I'm hearing Seattle is, is, is really uh, intrigued by Drew Locke and Geno Smith, I don't know where Baker starts at quarterback. So I think Baker's going to be a backup for somebody this year, and the Browns are going to have to cut him, and they're going to have to eat the dead cap money. Yeah. All right, let's get to Tyreek Hill, to Miami. This is a really two-part question. It's the same question as Devontae Adams in, in Green Bay. I mean, how much is Aaron Rodgers? How much is Devontae Adams? How much is Patrick Mahomes? How much is Tyreek Hill? What does this mean for Tua? Because they've got receivers now, and if Tua can't get the ball down the field – they don't need him. There's a lot to this. I think it helps Miami and hurts Kansas City, but you know more than I. What do you think? Uh, I think you and I are sharing a brain, Tony. I think it, okay. it yeah. helps Miami because now you put the onus on the new head coach, Mike McDaniels, and you also tell Tua, hey, we've taken away all your excuses. You said you didn't yeah. have a protection. Well, great. We went out. We got you the best tackle on the market, one of the best guards, so we retooled the offensive line. Hey, um, I don't necessarily have any weapons. Well, they've gone out. They've signed Raheem Mostert. They've signed Chase Edmonds in the backfield. We've got you, Tyreek Hill. You, you franchise tag Mike Gusecki. So they've taken away all of the excuses from Tua Tungabaloa, Tony, and now we're going to find out in a basically one-year experiment whether he can play or not. Because, Tony, if he can play, then I think next year they'll – franchise him or extend him or whatever. But if he can't, then I think they're going to move on from Tua. And let's not forget, Miami has two first-round picks next year, and I think they'll be in the market for a superstar quarterback. As far mm-hmm. as Kansas City, Tony, Patrick Mahomes is that good. Now, here's the bigger question. Was it Tyreek Hill or was it Travis Kelce? 
See, because I think we know what Patrick Mahomes is. When you wonder about the Kansas City offense, I think that's the bigger question. And I'm here to tell you it's about Tyreek Hill. He has the one thing, Tony, that you can't teach, you can't replicate, you cannot change, or you cannot find, I don't think, which is game-breaking speed yeah. plus acceleration. It's one thing to find a guy that can run 4-3, but can you find a guy that can play it 4-3? See, Tyreek Hill runs 4-2, and he plays it 4-2, and his acceleration is unlike that we've ever seen in the National Football League. So I think Kansas City is in for a rude awakening. Doesn't mean they can't win, but they're going to have to do it in an entirely different way than they're used to. It definitely hurts Kansas City, and but it just goes to show you, Tony, when your quarterback has a contract for $450 million, and Devontae yes. Adams signs a deal that's making $25, $26 million a year, and if you're Tyreek Hill, that's your market value, and Kansas City had to basically say, okay, we're going to shop, and we want grass-fed filet, but we can't also have a nice bottle of cab, okay? So which one do you want? Do you want the grass-fed filet or do you want the cab? Because we can't have both. They chose yeah. the grass-fed filet in Orlando Brown, the left tackle, and they can't have the cab, and so Tyreek Hill is now in Miami. It's a, like I watch people on television and they say, oh, Andy Reid's really good and Andy Reid can make up for this and you can plug somebody in there. And I want to reach my hand through the television set and say, what, what are you talking about? This guy's got something nobody else has. What, am I right, Booger? What are you talking about? People give Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy because he's the guy that's calling the plays. Right? Let's make sure we say his name. A lot of credit. Yes. so. But, Tony, let's not forget, those guys never step off the sidelines. And so how many times have we seen Patrick Mahomes run left, spin back right, and just throw it up, and Tyreek Hill is down there? How many times? Yes. Remember the play in the, in the game against Buffalo? Remember the little shallow end cut where Tyreek Hill caught the ball and outran the entire defense? They had the angle. Ran away. But he, threw, <laughs> he ran away from the entire Buffalo defense, Tony. That's not Andy Reid. That's not no. Eric Bieniemy. That's Tyreek Hill, and there's not another guy in the NFL like it. What a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Booger. Play golf this weekend. Have a good time. Talk to you soon. Any, absolutely, Tony. Anytime, buddy. Booger McFarland, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you folks. But don't send in faxes. <laughs> thank you, Jason. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, come on, don't talk back. Mime is money. Come on, move it. That's Billy Crystal to Dana Carvey. Yes, yes. Uh, you know. Spinal tap. You can watch that movie 100,000 times. <laughs> Thanks to our guest today, Brian Windhorst, Booger McFarland. Thanks to today's sponsors, X-Chair, Shopify, and Freshly. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Now that your bracket's totally busted, uh, go check out the offerings at Johnny O. Good Spring Offerings. Yes. And if your team is still in the tournament, they have a great, uh, great collegiate collection. So use TK Upset. Be like Nigel. I think he's yeah. rocking the Vaughn pullover. Q-Zip. <laughs> you can get... You can get Money off. Yes. It's good. Yeah, it's good it's great, great deal. From Pam Coggins Sims, although I enjoy listening to your podcast, I would like to record it for viewing later. Can you tell me what time and channels I can view your podcast on? I'm located in the DMV. Well, it's News Channel 8. Yeah. yeah you have day. to check local listings for the, the From time. Robert Owens in Burlington, North Carolina, as the former owner-operator of a boutique coffee shop. Yes, I owned a Subaru at the time. <laughs> I may be able to resolve your French press coffee ground issues. The issue just might be how fine of a grind you're using. When making coffee, you need to adjust the grind to fit the method of preparation. The finer the grind you have, the less time the water needs to be exposed to the ground. So when you're making a shot of espresso, where the water is in contact with the ground coffee for a very short period of time, you need the finest grind possible. 
possible. On the other end of the spectrum is the French press. This method allows you to keep the water exposed to the coffee for as long as you want. This being the case, the grind for a French press should be very coarse. Also, since the makers of your French press assume you're using a coarse grind, the wire mesh filter on the plunger is not very fine, but it's fine enough to keep coarse grounds out of your final cup. So if you're using a pre-ground coffee that is meant for anything other than a French press, it is probably too fine and will pass through your mesh filter and wind up in your poured cup. In the coffee biz, we call this a crunchy cup. P.S. I realize this explanation may be too technical for a person of your vintage, so you may want to share this with Michael and have him prepare a more detailed tutorial. Or better yet, just have Carol throw some whole beans in a pot of boiling water on the stove while you take Chessie for her morning walk. When you get back, your coffee will be done in the style originally used in the 15th century by goat herders of Yemen who came up with the whole cockamamie coffee brewing thing in the first place. Does that make sense to you, all of it? Yeah, I'm sure Mom would actually try the whole bean method. Yeah. So crunchy cup. So what is that sponsor that's not with us anymore, but we like trade, right? Trade like coffee. Trade. Yes. They they know what they're doing. From Ed Butt, I loved your Jay Peterman discussion, especially the part regarding Hunter S. Thompson, also known as Doonesbury's Uncle Duke. Yes. I know the former pro at the Aspen Country Club, where Hunter S. Thompson was a member. His stories are legendary. My favorite involves Thompson playing with a good friend, a well-known news correspondent for one of the major networks. They played often and for a lot of money. Once on the 18th green, the TV guy had a mid-range putt to win big. As he set up the putt, Hunter pulled a sawed-off shotgun out of his golf bag and fired into the air in the middle of his backstroke. He missed the putt. Was Hunter arrested? Of course not. He was the sheriff at the time. P.S. I skied Aspen in 1970 wearing my button-fly Levi's in an Army fatigue jacket. This is what Jay Peterman's people wore in Aspen, not brightly colored nylon. <laughs> Matt Morgan, Dallas, Texas. Yesterday afternoon, I finally had the chance to listen to the morning's podcast. When you began reading the Jay Peterman catalog, you brought up the Woody's Creek, Woody Creek Tavern. I said, hey, I know that tavern. As a recently graduated college student, I spent a little time working there in the mid-1990s. A couple of things. First, the tavern is in Woody Creek, not Aspen. Woody Creek is a small, unincorporated town just down Valley from Aspen that consisted of a trailer court, a post office, and a tavern. It was known by many as the nearest place the employees of Aspen could afford to live in. Second, the tavern was a hole-in-the-wall bar and Mexican restaurant in the 80s and 90s where us working stiffs could afford a meal and a bottom-shelf margarita. It was also a spot where celebrities often came to get away from the crowds of Aspen. I recall serving the likes of Don Johnson, Melanie Griffith, Bruce Willis, and yes, Hunter S. Thompson, whose owl form was just down the road. Hunter stories abound, but I was witness to one of the more famous ones. Pitkin County had just passed a smoking ban in restaurants, and Hunter being Hunter, decided to light up as he began his 10th or 12th cocktail. He was immediately warned by the owner to extinguish it, but muttered something under his breath and continued to puff away. It was then that Hunter was escorted out of the building and told not to return. An hour later, the front door popped open and two military-grade smoke bombs entered. <laughs> After the fire department left and when the bar reopened 72 hours later, it was determined that Hunter would be permanently 86 from the premises, which he remained until after I had left. Later, he would be readmitted when he finally agreed to never smoke bomb the Woody Creek Tavern again, a note that still hangs by the door. From Cam Smith in Ocean View, Delaware, quick question. Does it count as a David Aldridge moment when the person you're talking about is me? Made my day to be called world-class by Sansi and loved by Michael on the March 15th pod. I've sworn off taking long chunks of time to write clever emails to just send, end up in Nigel's trash, now resorting to vaguely uncommon same-name references. Hope to see you around the Delaware beaches. So his name is Cameron Smith. But does he have the mullet? No, I don't know. <laughs> That's the question. Here's yes. a haiku from Shan. The sun-bleached mustache. An elderly aunt who always brings ambrosia on Thanksgiving Day. That is Edith Salizzo. <laughs> from Joe Pearson in Indianapolis. Thought I'd let you know of a concert I attended last Sunday. The performer was Martin Barry, B-A-R-R-E, Barr, Barry, and his band. As you know, Barr was the lead guitarist for Jethro Tull from 1968 until the band's breakup in 2011. Great show, but here's the part that would interest you. The show started at 6 o'clock. They played two sets, and the whole thing was over by 8.40. I was home just after 9. Score one from the old for the old folks. That's from Patrick Graham in Catonsville, which is in Maryland, is it not? Another example of the genius that this show is was Mr. Tony's tease about the explosion of sea salt-coated products. Can't wait to hear more about it. Oh, yeah, my daughter got married Saturday. You can tell everyone you were invited if you want. I'll back you up on that. From Mike Driggs in Portland, Oregon. Um, could this be Michael's new family vehicle? Oh, it's got like a thousand seats. It's got five in the front, then five, then yeah. four in the back. We are I, looking I for a new car. It's called a hike. Everyone uh, in certain hike 
haiku writing individuals from Mike Triggs. What's it called? It's haiku Haikurabu. Haikuburu. Uh, Haikuburu, yes. Seats? Yes, here, I'll show you. Five in the front, seven in the middle, five in the back. Yeah. Oh. Just like a haiku. Yeah. Um, Lieutenant Commander Chris Yost. <laughs> talk about Italy. a middle seat. <laughs> Apologies for the length of this, but please read. A year ago, I wrote you from Van Street, right across from Nats Park. I left D.C. for an amazing opportunity, personal aid to the commander of the U.S. 6th Fleet in Naples, Italy. It's a great job, and we do more on a daily basis than most will do on a lifetime. I'm engaged to Sherry, or Sherry, a Terps grad who has met Coach Williams seven times, several times, but she hated your guts. Thanks to me, she now can't get enough and gets angry when the Tony Show isn't up on pod, Apple Podcasts. It's the same sentiment here in Naples, Italy. Large group of littles here are getting through the world events through your show. Every day is a challenge and emotionally draining. I get motivation from hearing my fiance Sherry, and the iTunes notification that a new episode is available. My best friend, Lieutenant Commander Graham Van Hook, yes, who is in your hood and could possibly be the owner of the trailers outside your house, <laughs> as he lives right up the street on Connecticut Avenue, and I have been littles for years. My fiance and I are getting married on May 21st at the Mayflower Hotel, right across the street from your old office. Maybe you can pick up your own mail for once. I know you won't come, but I've learned from you over 10 years to ask for favors and handouts. I think you'll be able to make it at least one work, since Sherry hated your guts and now loves you. Sherry and I get to watch you film PTI from the attic. Sherry and I with Graham get to join you for a walk of Chessie. <laughs> Sherry and I with Graham get a VIP wine tasting with you at your place of choice. <laughs> Lastly, four, you ignore all. <laughs> Let's walk. Let's walk with Chessie. Life here in NATO world is hard, but you make it bearable. I know from your voice and how you discuss what is happening in the Ukraine that it hits you hard. When you see it in real life, it's much harder, but we have you and the crew. That's the impact of your show. All the best. Lieutenant Commander Chris Yost, Naples, Italy. And one more, and it's Bill Isaacson, and it's always long and always good. The show's connective tissue has done a service for Dina of Damascus by straightening out which David Collier is <laughs> Dina's, not David Collier. This leads me to ask, can someone find out the fate of the other Bill Isaacson in my life? In my freshman year at Loyola Academy High School, I was there with another Bill Isaacson, a senior. That Bill Isaacson led a more colorful life than I did. He's written about him before. I believe he has. Leading yes. to a regular series of detention slips that I would receive and then turn back in claiming mistaken identity. After I'd returned a stack of these, one day I found myself returning another detention slip to the office of the Dean of Discipline. It is worth noting that Boys Catholic High Schools in those days had a Dean of Discipline with an office, a secretary, and paddles made by the shop class. That day I handed the detention slip to the secretary and said, wrong Bill Isaacson again. She said, nope. This time he wants to see you. I don't know what the other Bill Isaacson did this time, but once I entered the dean's office, he stood up on his desk chair and came across the top of his desk at me with his hand stretched out to wring my neck. I started yelling and explaining as fast as I could, wrong Bill Isaacson, wrong Bill Isaacson, there's two Bill Isaacsons. My words caused sufficient confusion that the dean's hand stopped short, just short of wringing my neck. And then he said to me, with hands posed around my neck, then get the right Bill Isaacson in here now. I said, yes, sir. Exited and asked the secretary to get the other Bill Isaacson in there for a visit. So that leads to the question on my mind. Does anyone in the connective tissue know of the other Bill Isaacson? And can someone ask him what he did? <laughs> You're out on your bike tonight, everyone. As always, do wear white. Stop the hammering. Stop the hammering out there. Who's got a hammer? Where is it? Stop. Where's the hammer? Is it on the... Go up on the Where's the hammer? He's home. Is he, or is he at school yet? Stop the, the hammering. Stop I don't hear it. the hammering. The best and was the worst time of my life. Can't wait for autumn to come. Maybe the aberrant will blossom and will bloom. Maybe the stars will align. Some were crowned kings and queens while others were sweating out their alcoholic dreams. Some gave away to the cliche, but we'll always have. I'm sitting here once again with my head in my hands. 